Good adventures, everybody. I'm Melissa Bontek, and welcome to episode 101 of Books Cubed. Today, I am so excited to have on a very old friend. Well, he's not old, but I've known him a long time. And he writes space opera. His name is, his author name is A.L. Bruno. I know him as Tony. Welcome, Tony. Hello, everybody. I am going to quickly read his bio. So just hang on a second. I'm going to find it here. Okay. An Air Force brat and veteran, A.L. Bruno donned his first cadet uniform at the tender age of 14. A cum laude graduate of the University of North Dakota Honors Program, he earned his private pilot's license at 24 before a career that ranged from IT architect to professional videographer. A proud, and a proud father and ecstatic grandfather, he resides with his wife in Minnesota. So we are talking... Uh, space opera today that's what tony writes yep. and just if you do you have your book right there actually i have it right behind me hold grab on. a copy of that and just hold it up to the camera well, this, everybody. this is going to be the author's copy so it's not going to be that attractive with a big gray bar across it yeah the, amazon uh, wants to discourage us from selling proofs so yeah, if you're so not an author and you don't know what a proof is it's a copy that you get to look it over and see if there's any mistakes but um, I will say, holding my first novel is something that I am still officially not used to. So it's it's, it's it very is, exciting. It's very exciting. So this is space opera, and there's a uh, there's a nice spaceship on the cover, and there's an explosion and a planet, and there's all this exciting stuff. So give everybody just a really quick rundown of what your book is about. Well, the book, the the, the central question of the book, the thing that prompted the book to be read was. What if we were the invading aliens? Um, how would we know if we were doing the right thing and could we even tell the difference? Um, this is a story about first contact, but it's a, you know, everybody knows what first contact is in the space opera world, you know, not just the old Star Trek movie from 1996, but the idea that it's your first contact between two different advanced or semi-advanced civilizations. I wanted to tell a story like that, but there is a twist here, and this twist is that 600 light years from Earth, um, there is a planet that is impossibly similar to Earth. I mean, down to the atmosphere, down to the satellite, down to its position in the Goldilocks zone. That's impossible by itself, but even more weird is the fact that on the surface, there is a population of 3 billion human beings that have been there for thousands of years. Since humanity's only been going into space for about 300 to almost 400 years, again, that's impossible. So the question is, where did these people come from? How did they get there? And basically, how is this possible? And that's your setup, which means instantly things go wrong because our, our heroes have been sitting up in orbit. They've been studying these people, learning their languages and going, this is impossible. This is a species that is at about a late 20th century technology level. I like to refer to it as a pre-information age. They haven't got the internet. They really don't have small computers, but they're recognizably human beings. They have different cultures, everything else. But one day they spot our heroes on orbit and our heroes have to actually go down and say, yeah, hi, how you doing? And then again, everything goes wrong. And it really is, um, it's a study of people all trying to desperately do the right thing and ending up, but I don't wanna say more at that point. 
because yeah, I don't no, want to give don't. anything away. You don't. You're uh, going to read some for us. I, yeah, I have a I have a bit of a chapter. This is later in the book. Um, the setup is um, our uh, our hero is a uh, character named Lieutenant Commander Jason Roberts. He was the signal intelligence officer on board the starship, which is known as the Terran starship Hyperion, and he happened to really catch on and really embrace the language and the culture as he studied it. And now he's in a position where he is the liaison to the planet's great mediator. He was selected over everybody's objection on the ship. He's stuck having to represent not only his ship, but the organization that they belong to, which is called the Union of Star Systems. And he has also been given a secret mission that he can't admit to the local population. So he's being, he's having to hold on to his mission while not giving away what his real mission is. On top of that, well, he's a veteran and he carries some baggage and that's where I wanted to go ahead and start with this chapter. And this is chapter 20, the beginning of chapter 20 of Stars Forever Black. Chapter 20, Golden's Hold. 14 July, 2244. The hover gurney slipped out of Roberts's hands, his bloodied fingers leaving thick streaks across its white handles. He staggered back, his feet making wet sucking noises in the mud. He grabbed at the gurney again, determined to get the patient strapped to its surface to the waiting ship's boat. A hollow thud filled the air and a mortar shell impacted what was left of the battlefield clinic. The shockwave smashed through his chest and the bright flash of secondary explosions blossomed into the night sky. The patient, he couldn't tell if they were male or female under the bandage wrapped face, moaned, their hands clenched as the heat of weapons fire washed over them. They shook their heads side to side frantically as Roberts pulled the gurney forward, his eyes locked on the surgeon struggling with her own gurney in the mud in front of him. Just a little farther, Roberts thought, ignoring the explosions, the lights, and the screams. His eyes remained focused on the bloodied surgeon ahead. Just a little bit further and we can get out of here. Another thud smacked him in the chest, this time closer as the mortars trained towards their target. His patient yelled, coughing blood and staining bandages under their chin. Roberts tripped, slammed his knees into the mud and screamed. The in-flight ejection that had landed him in the hospital only hours before had left him broken, but still ambulatory. You can walk, the surgeon had told him, so you can help. Another thud, this time even closer. Arms and legs exploded upward in a grisly fountain, and he fought the urge to wrench. Keep going. Roberts pulled himself to his feet, his legs burning with the effort. The surgeon in front of him staggered forward her hover gurney sliding over the imperfections in the ground like a puck over uneven ice. Keep up with her, Roberts thought, his mind one more shock away from breaking completely. Follow her, just a little bit farther. There was a flash and the surgeon disintegrated into a pink mist. Viscera smacked into Roberts and he fell back, screaming as the mortars closed in, each thud spelling his doom. Thud! The few troops providing cover were torn apart 
their armor and weapons shattered to pieces. Thud, screams from behind, told them that the rest of the patients were dead, gutted as they were being hauled to safety. Thud, the ship's boat cracked like an egg, then exploded. He washed over him. There was a sharp pain and... Agrath's room, old Kianel's palace, Leonardo Tanasta, 16 Sardua, 1066. Robert screamed as he sat upright on his mattress in Agrath's room. Sweat drenched his skin and his heart pounded as if trying to escape his chest. Robert shot a half-panicked look around the room. Felsfaria, he thought. Agrath's room, I'm safe. He laid his head back, heart still beating a hole in his sternum. I'm safe. Thud, thud, thud. The door, he thought. Somebody's at the door. Robert swung his bare feet out from under the bed linens and placed them slowly onto the cool wooden floor. You're safe, he thought again, his head down, his eyes stubbornly open lest he close them and see that field again. You're safe. Are you dead? Nishida's voice yelled from the other side of the doorway. No, Roberts croaked. He glanced at the wrist comb. 0435 local, he thought. Why the hell does she need me this early? Good, Nishida replied from the other side of the door. Let me in. Roberts stood and walked towards the door. Just a little bit farther. He fought back the thought and cracked the door open. He almost didn't recognize Nishida. Her artful makeup was missing and her carefully curated clothing had been replaced by faded running shorts and a ragged green t-shirt. Her black hair was pulled into a tight bun, a sweatband wrapped around her forehead. You look like hell, Nishida said, her nose wrinkling. And you look adorable. The thought caught Roberts by surprise, and instead he grumbled, yeah, you should see me in the morning. Nishida pushed the door open and marched past him, then turned to him and frowned. Was that another joke? she asked. Robert stifled a yawn. Not if you have to ask, he replied. What's up? Do people exercise on your spaceship, she asked, or do you take some pills or something? We exercise, he managed. He briefly considered bringing up Terra's disastrous flirtation with nanobases' physiological alteration, but thought better of it. Why? Get changed, Nishida said. We're going for a run. She grabbed a used towel that he folded carefully over the supplied rack and threw it into his chest. Hurry, she's pressed. We don't have all day. Robert stopped briefly of arguing the point, but decided against it. Give me a minute, he told her, grabbing his duffel and headed to get changed. I'll give you two, she replied, smiling. A rum will do me good, he thought, as he shut the bathroom door behind him. When he closed his eyes, however, all he saw was the surgeon being ripped apart by a mortar like an old rag. And I'll stop there. So I figured I would go ahead and give people a little sense of what's going on. Um, obviously, he's a well-wrapped individual, and uh, everything is just fine. No, um, I wanted to explore those sorts of things from being a veteran. Um, one thing I left out in the description is the universe is one that has been at war for um, for humans for about 400 years, but for the rest of the Union for well over a thousand years. Um, they discovered the planet from the first 
peace they've had in that entire time, 12 years before the enemy, which are known as the Matanai Empire, who are dedicated to literally genocide. They want to wipe out humanity. They consider us nothing but a virus, a plague. Um, they suddenly sued for peace. Nobody expected it, but everybody said, how can we say no? And um, so humanity's finally getting to explore, but I don't tell stories about fluffy bunnies and happy puppies. So we'll just leave it at that. So, yeah, and my, my mic was um, off. Uh, I t- always turn it off when people are, are reading because I'm afraid that I'll, I don't know, burp or something <laughs> in the middle of it. You never know. And of course, no one heard me go on making all the comments that I made when he finished. No wonder you're staring at me like I was an idiot. <laughs> but yeah, it's very good. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's very exciting. Uh, the book is just full of, it, it, it's just, it, it's, it's unput downable, really. It, uh, it, it, it rolls right along and uh, the reviews you're starting to get are saying the same thing that I'm saying. And it's only been out, you published like last week? I published last Thursday. Um, I put it out. Um, and uh, then of course it was right before Mother's Day. So the idea was to get me away from the computer so I wouldn't obsessively watch the numbers, which meant that even though I was 400 miles or 300 miles away, I. Um, I, I lived with this thing in my hand um, because uh, I was constantly refreshing and checking out. The book's available on Kindle Unlimited, which means if you do have Kindle Unlimited, please give it a read. Um, my pages? Uh, the book is on Kindle. It's 403 pages long. On uh, on print in print at six by nine, it's 387. Um, I should say this is the first book of a trilogy that Melissa knows that I've actually finished. Um, and I'm currently in the process of doing another edit pass on what is going to be book two with a publishing goal of the first week of July. And yeah, yeah. When, think- he, when he finished, I'm sorry to interrupt you. When he finished, he no. told me how many pages there were. And I reached <laughs> across the computer and slapped him several times and said, cut that baby into three, honey. <laughs> It's, um, it was like 1106 1, pages long. Yeah. yeah and I said, no, no, no. <laughs> I, no. I, I vividly remember that moment. Um, I had, um, to be fair, my daughter, my adult daughter kept saying to me, dad, that's a trilogy. And I'd say, oh no, sweetheart. It's all one book. Trust me. And yeah, Katie uh, Kate knows what she's talking about. Yeah. yeah she, she knows exactly. And she was right. Um, and then you said right away, that sounds like a trilogy. Another friend of mine wrote, sounds like a trilogy. And I, I, you know, you, you, after you put a lot of your time into it, and it took me what, about nine months to write the, the trilogy, which, which considering is actually pretty fast. Um, yes. And the time that Tony wrote his book, I wrote one 50,000 page book. I outlined two more. And I talked about writing my fourth book quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, but you but you got all that accomplished. I basically focused on this one project. And yeah. and just, you know, it, it, this is one of those cases where I'm a little embarrassed that it got away from me. But then the flip side of it is I go, you know what? It is what it is. Um, and well, yeah, there, there was there's lots of story there. 
And yeah. so it it needed to be a trilogy. And I know you added some POVs of people on the planet, which I really love what you added to the, is in the first book or the second book? Both the first book and the second book. You've already read the additional stuff that I sent you about the Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, uh, it's yeah, it's 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 in reading it as you're as you're writing it, it's tougher because I have to think. Okay, I read it like oh, two weeks ago. I have to kind of yeah. Usually right. when I sit and read, I read a you know I read in just two or three days and then retain it much easier. <laughs> I'm just I the the um this is an exciting story for me because it is the first part of the you know I call it the Star Lion Saga. And that is actually the intent. This is the first three books. And uh, the next three books have already been roughly planned. And the final three books I've actually got, um, I don't want to say planned, but I've got the stake points in there. And I, and as strange as this sounds, I, I knew the last line of this, of this trilogy the moment I started writing it. And I know the last lines of the entire series. I've got those written down as well. Knowing where it's going to me is what made it all made all the difference. That oh, uh, yes, yeah, outlining. And I, I say this all the time: if you are a writer out there, yes, you can write by the seat of your pants. But I spent five years as a literary agent, and I was very good at saying to people, "You didn't outline, did you?" And they'd say, "No." Should I? <laughs> Just because. Yeah, so often, you know, so often, too, is people would would call and pitch me something or see me and pitch me something, be this amazing story. And then I would get their their manuscript and it would have only about half of what they talked about, because every time they read it to themselves instead of out loud or having other people read it, they use, they filled in all the blanks with their own in with their own head. And then they missed so many things. So much didn't make it onto the page. So outlining and outlining, you know, Tony wrote this fast. He, he seriously did. I don't think it took you nine months. I mean, you were doing some editing for several months, but you, you popped this baby out really fast. Well, I, I started in June of 2020 and I finished in December of 2020. Now, bear in mind, I had, I had some large breaks in there because, you know, even during the pandemic, I had some family things that I had to travel around the country for. And by the way, road trips during a pandemic, not, not a fan. Uh, zero out of 10 would not recommend. Um, seeing the family was lovely, but the, the trip itself was scary. They were scary. But um, the, so I had some fairly large breaks in there. Um, but, you know, I, I, knowing my structure, knowing where it was going, knowing how I wanted this to end uh, helped. I also, you know, of course, I, I was part of an accountability group that, Every day at noon, my time, I would hook, hook up. We would connect everybody. We would chat. And um, especially during the pandemic, during the isolation, having that group of fellow writers to get together just to know that they were there made a huge difference. Um, the, uh, but um, the irony is as fast as I wrote this and as wordy as I was per day, um, I did everything in my power to try to get to the point as quickly as I possibly could because um, my last job before the pandemic hit, part of what I did was I wrote video scripts. Um, actually, I fully produced the videos, but I wrote the scripts. And having done that for several years, you really learn in a hurry. Don't waste time. 
get where you need to go, walk away, you know, um, set up your drama, set up your conflict, set up your complication, resolve and run for the credits. Um, as, as the old next generation writing staff used to say. Um, but no, it's, it's been, it's been exciting. It's been right now I'm deep in that, that sense of post-publication terror um, because it's, it is the baby is out there and it is going to get stabbed by mean people and that is just the way it's going to be. Yeah, but, you know, you can't, you can't, there's always going to be somebody that hates it. Oh, yeah. There's always going to be somebody and, you know, yeah, you shouldn't read your reviews, but if you get a lot of, if you're an author who gets a lot of one, two and three star reviews, you need to read your reviews to see what you're missing. And I know I've learned stuff from reading uh, three star reviews and I had a a girl, and I've talked about this, and, or I might have cut it. Sometimes I talk about stuff and then I cut it because no one wants to hear about me. But uh, one time I had a lady, uh, I, I write Cozy Mystery, and the reason that my main character avoids her arch nemesis for 10 years is explained. And I had someone in a review say it was lame. And I laughed. And I know I was really shocked that I laughed. And I said, that is fantastic. And I wrote it into the next book. She explains to someone why and they tell her that it's lame and it was just a great scene. And I have people tell me, oh, that scene in the book where he, where he called it lame, it was hysterical. Yes, and I owe that all to a three-star review. But you know, that's the thing. I, and, I, um, and I'm glad you said that because the phrase I had to remind myself every day I was writing was no matter how hard I work, no matter how much I succeed or fail, somebody will hate this. It is... If, if there's anything that the wonder of the internet has taught me is that um, you can never be surprised anymore at people's reactions. Fortunately, my early reviews have been really quite good. Um, I'm, have, yeah. I'm waiting for the first hates and because I've been through that before. I've had people, you know, you can't write professionally in a, in a professional studio environment and not have people mock your work. It's just. Part. Oh yeah. Well, you know, sometimes too, um, uh, I know a lot of readers don't read reviews mm -hmm. and uh, I, I don't, I look at cover and then I read the description and then I read a sample and then I grab the book if it, you know, pulls me in. But a lot of times people will look at reviews like a one-star review will say, um, I had someone on not too long ago and they said, one star review said one thing and then the other one star review said the opposite but somebody was pulled in by the one star review okay they didn't like that she did such and such and the person reading it went oh, but i like that so i'm gonna read that book yeah, yeah. it is it really is comes down to personal taste um the the um the exciting part of that this of course is talking to people about the book and um, like a lot of writers, I hate bragging about my own stuff. Um, for me, it's just a matter of, well, this is my thing. I hope you like it. And in this fiercely competitive marketplace, you can't do that. You, you got to be in there going, nope, this is, you know, this is what I've done. I hope you like it. I mean, I, I, I honestly am proud of what I've written here. Um, I when I went back and did my final read before publication, I'd forgotten how funny some of the book was. Um, and I'd forgotten that I'd actually, and as the writer, mind you, I'd forgotten how funny I'd made Roberts at times, that he was the SOB that always cracked jokes. But, um, but you know, there's, a, there's some darkness in it. And I, I really want to try to, to, to uh, balance that. And then being space opera, 
the beautiful thing about a space opera is um, I know some good science fiction writers, hard science fiction writers, and I admire their ability to take a single advance in technology and then break it down and go, okay, well, what are the implications for society? And I admire their work. I, on the other hand, I am the kind of guy who likes big bombastic movement. If you know, there's not, if a, if a person in this book sighs, I've lost my, I forgot my job because nobody just sighs. Everybody is either furious, ecstatic, or everything. It's, it's all, it's all, it's reality amped up to eleven, with you know, with just a real focus on making it vibrant. And because making it vibrant, well, it's, that's the sort of thing that I hope will, will, will live in readers' memories. Um, and of course, you know, I get to, I don't want to give away the story here. So let me say this very carefully. The book leans on tropes, but I would not lean on tropes if I didn't have an intention of using that trope in a different way. And that's all I'll say right now. Yeah, and it, it's very um I shouldn't have tried reading it as you wrote it because I would wait is the next one done yet is the next one done yet I yeah. think I got two-thirds of the way through and I finally said I gotta wait because it's making me nuts because I want to want I want to know what's happening next it yeah. was he would send me the things and I would stop whatever I was doing to read it right away because it really is good it pulls you in it moves fast it doesn't spend I am not a person who writes lots of description uh, unless, I mean, I, I was reviewing something I'm, I'm writing for uh, another project and I have someone falling down a hill and it takes them a page and a half to fall down a hill. But the way it, she falls down the hill, I'm like, okay, that works. But normally two or three lines to describe something. And I like that you just move things along and the action continues and we just keep going and keep going forward. And that is what I really, really liked about the book. Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. The irony is... Um, a dear friend of mine, um, a friend from Beale Air Force Base, he's been my best friend since I was 11. The Valet Drives are named after him, by the way. Um, his criticism to me, and he said, he said, this is not a critique of the book. This is a personal preference, but I think it's description heavy. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's, it's just, it is. It, it is it, personal, it, yeah. Yeah, and, is, and I've, had, I've had books where, um, I will just keep skipping because they'll go four or five pages describing something that doesn't need to be described for four or five pages. And that makes me nuts. I, I, what's funny is I, because I worked so long in the screenplay format, I, I found myself going, okay, you got to establish the shot here. And you can't say interior, this location, night, continuous or continuous and then a brief line you had and I thought well okay I don't have a camera anymore I've got to go ahead and paint this picture and um and I will say the first five chapters of the book in my brain if I were director it would have all been one steady cam shot through most of it uh, particularly on on Felsparia itself chapter four in particular is one I imagine this sort of Aaron Sorkin-esque camera following Avondare and never stopping, just always. Yeah, yeah like the first episode of The West Wing when Leo walks. He's in his yes. house to start. And he's bitching because they spelled 
Gaddafi's name wrong, I think, in the crossword, something like yeah. that. Somebody's name wrong. And then he walks into the Oval Office and it's one continuous shot. And Tommy, Sh 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 oh, I can't say his name, the camera operator. I think he directed a few, too. His camera work is just gorgeous on that show. And it's a continuous from the moment they cross the seal as he walks mm -hmm. through all the parts and, and says hello to all the different people that are going to be working. And it's a really nifty way to introduce all the characters in their environments so you don't have to go back and do it later. It's just yeah. really, yeah. And so, yeah, you know, now that you say that, I can see that when I think back to those first few, first few chapters, that camera just moving continuously. Yeah, I can totally see that. And I had to break that habit because I found myself going, this is going to limit me if I don't do it, if I keep doing this. So I had to remind myself how to uh, do a written word cut. I literally had to remind myself, going, oh yeah, I can cut here and do this. It, it was changing gears after so many years. Um, and, but now I'm, I think the word is addicted. It's nice to be back writing again. If I don't write something every day, I feel like I, I've forgotten something incredibly important. Um, and I am very excited about book two because I think I, my goal is to make book two better than book one. Um, it certainly advances the story. And um, I can't say anything about book three right now. <laughs> and book three is written, right? All of it's written. Um, the, the whole manuscript was written um but when i realized i had to break the book into three parts i read i it was exciting because it let me like you mentioned earlier add some point of view characters from the planet itself um because there were some things i wanted to do with the flavor of the planet that i didn't get to do before and so i added about ten thousand words of subplot to book one that then continues into book two um, which is another, uh, that added almost 16,000 words. And that subplot will all be um, resolved as part of the major plot in book three, which um, again, I can't say a word about book three. I literally, I, all right, what can I say? If you're a fan of huge action, you're going to really like book three. Oh, good. Yeah. Book, book three is, as, as one of my beta readers said to me was, wow, you really went with the Avengers Endgame feel here. And I was like, well, that wasn't my intention, but sort of. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very excited to get there. Um, and uh, something I mentioned off recording earlier is the, the cover for book two is, I'm waiting for the proofs to come in for that. And I'm in the process of, um, right now I have to do a little bit more carpentry work on the first four chapters of book two, not much. But then it's a matter of assembly. It goes out to edit. Um, and the good news is I have a good developmental editor living in the house with me. And uh, she's also a tremendous line editor. And so I really, I'm not that concerned about hitting that July deadline. In fact, I'm sort of trying to challenge myself for a mid to late June release so I can get the whole trilogy out before the end of summer. That's what I was just going to ask. So that when people are reading this first one in KU uh, and then all three, I know you have to keep books in KU for 90 days. So 
when the third one hits, um, you're, you're going to leave books one and two in for those full 90 days. Oh, right? yes. Oh, absolutely. Because um, I was going to reach across the screen to slap you again, because I hear people all the time that have the first book in KU and take all the other ones out. It's crazy. No, no. I mean, in fact, um, my read count on KU was very high for a little while there. I was getting about 2,000 pages a day read, which was gobsmacking. I did not expect that. Um, I was also surprised that I was, at one point, I was ranked number 153 in metaphysical science fiction, which I, I, I kept going, really? That's a thing? So um, it's interesting. Course, yeah. What kind of categories you uh, end up in sometimes? Yeah, sometimes a keyword will get you into a category. I don't understand Amazon as well as some people, but supposedly sometimes if you use a specific keyword, it will throw you into a category. Sometimes one you don't want to be in. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, at one point today after our interview and after I do the very authorly thing of mowing the lawn, um, I'm going to sit down and work uh, on my ad campaign again, because um, the, the beautiful thing about doing this is this becomes your job. And um, I have to say, as a job goes, I the last professional corporate job I had was the most fun I've ever had in a corporate job. This is the most fun I've ever had. Um, this is just a blast. I, I, I love telling the stories. Um, and Melissa, you've had me on for the, the writer, the role of prompts. Yes, and, yes. If I, I should have said that in the intro. Yeah, if you are thinking that Tony looks or sounds familiar, if you're watching on video, he has joined us several times for the role of prompt writing shows. And uh, we're actually putting one together. So um, if I can't find anybody, I'm going to make you come on to help okay. us do one. It's a I got someone I've asked, but if I don't hear from them soon, I'm going to I'm going to abandon them and um, have you come back on because Tony's stories are always hysterical. And then he reads them and we Lisa and I have to turn our mics off because they are so funny. And the thing is, this this book, my beautiful book here, not that funny. It, it's it's um, I, I there there. This is a story I've wanted to tell Okay, here's a weird little story about it. Um, I came up with the original plot. The first moment I came up with the general shape of this story was I was 14 years old. I was literally shaving because, you know, at that age I was shaving. I was getting ready to go to school in England where, where my parents were stationed at the time and where my mom's from. And as I was shaving, I had a thought and I can't say what that thought is because it literally is the spoiler for everything. And I sort of st straightened up and went, huh. So for the rest of the day at school, as I was taking notes, I was also making notes about this idea. And this thing has been with me for way too many years. And I think that's one of the reasons it came spilling out of me so fast is I just thought I have to get this out of me so I can write other stuff. And that's why I like the roller prom thing. It was that it, yeah, it left me yeah. write silly, silly it's stuff. It's fun. And, um, and, uh, yeah, and then Tony and I do have a, 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 I shouldn't even mention it, but I'm gonna, we have a, a paranormal series yep. based on, we we screen wrote together. I come from screenwriting also. So yep. um, we have a, a script we've turned into a series and it's funny and it's fun and it's paranormal. And um, 
you we'll you're talk about it more. Up. We're still yeah, we're still running the uh, the uh, we kind of it kind of got set in the, on the aside because we're both working on other projects, but we're almost done with our freebie that we'll give to. Well, it won't be a freebie, but uh, it, it'll it'll introduce people to the series, but it, people can walk into any point. You don't have to read the books in order, which is the big thing that we wanted to do. So, yeah, it, I mean, I got to say, you brought us such a lighter touch to it than I would have taken because uh, it, we um, I wrote an early version of what I saw the chapter like and then Melissa took it. And then basically, if if my chapter had been an X-Files episode, um, it would have been all dimly lit with flashlights and people making poop face the entire time. And Melissa took it, the same idea, and just kept everything there, but made it light and airy and fun and compelling. And so I was like, oh, thank God she's here, because I, I it's a very, very different take, and I love it. It's so much better than the way I did it. And you so. know, I, I would not have, I, I, when I wrote the original uh, version, we wrote the script because uh, it was... It was considered by the X-Files, this group we wrote, and they had moved the show from Vancouver to L.A., and so they did not buy it. But we were told they were very interested in it, and we had another we were going to write for them that they asked for, and we never finished it because we're losers big time, and we didn't we didn't do it. Well, I don't remember why we didn't. Oh, I, I think it was because... Oh, I remember why it was because I ended up getting a job. I, I That's right, and I, I just... I, I could not write it by myself because at that time it was... And I was working I like 56 hour yeah. weeks back then yeah. for so it just kind of uh, went for the wayside uh but i i never would have added i had just the one character and uh he added the care a second character that really is a nice play and i never would have considered this character or any of the things and it brought so much to the story so uh just, so that one's I, been a lot of fun we're gonna have to get back on that one so that we can get that series written, yeah, we we do you know, and um, get that out maybe by christmas that would be that would be a good idea because i mean yeah. uh because the more we can sell over christmas the better because ultimately this is commerce we got to make money uh, and i've had people tell me oh never put a book out at christmas because they never sell and um december was my best month ever i've been selling since 2017 december was a huge 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 month for month for me it was just amazing so uh oh I was a happy camper. <laughs> well, what's funny is my son desperately tried to stop me from publishing on May the 4th. Um, oh. Because that was my, I talking about miracles, I actually hit my deadline, which was May the 4th, which is when I wanted to publish the first book. And my son was like, dad, you don't want to do this. It'll, it'll fall through the way, it'll fall through the cracks. It won't, nobody will see it. And then all weekend when he was with me, he was like, okay, wow, look at that all right. I was like, well, sometimes your old man has a good idea or two. So occasionally, <laughs> occasionally. Yeah. Now, um, how can people find the book and find you? Um, you can go to my website, anthonybrunoauthor.com. And also I have uh, my Anthony A.L. Bruno uh, author profile on Amazon. The Also just look up Stars Forever Black on Amazon and it'll pop up both the print version and the e the ebook version um i would choose whatever one is more comfortable for you because the idea is for you to have a good time reading it um although i'm just a big fan of holding a book because i'm old-fashioned i am too i was going to hold up your book and i was reading it and it's in the other room oh no <laughs> so, like oh i left it in the other room oh well i think i have it 
so the cup that I got to go find it because I think I set it down. So the spine, I hate doing that because I crack spines, but I didn't have a bookmark and I didn't want to turn down the, the page, which I don't know why I, I like Speaking, bookmarks. And yeah, and, and things that I'm going to be adding to the website is eventually a mailing list as I learn that particular black magic. And um, and some of the reader prompt or reader magnets I'm going to add are, in fact, a bookmark is one of the things I've got designed based on the design of the ship. Because it's oh, very nice. long and slender, and it actually yeah. a bookmark. That would actually make a nice bookmark. Yeah, it's occasionally good ideas. Uh, occasionally. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Okay, so uh, I hope you enjoyed Tony uh, Tony's uh, reading today from Stars Forever Black, and I will have all the links in the show notes for everybody. And I will have a great next show for you next week. But uh, thanks a lot, Tony. I'm uh, kind of rambling here because I have a new, I just don't do an intro and outro anymore. And I just do it all in one piece. And uh, I'm still <laughs> figuring out what I, uh, trying to remember to say things that I want to say, like go to the show notes, find the links, uh, comment on our YouTube page. The link will take you over there. And uh, this way I can see it. Sometimes I can't see things. We're also on Instagram, books underscore cubed. And probably on Facebook, but I may get rid of that because I just don't ever go on Facebook. I just don't like it. Um, but I will be back next time with another great show. And in the meantime, go read a good book.